Chapter One of Literary Taste How to Form It by Arnold Bennett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Literary Taste How to Form It with detailed instructions for the collecting of a complete library of English literature by Arnold Bennett. Chapter 1. The Aim At the beginning a misconception must be removed from the path. Many people, if not most, look on literary taste as an elegant accomplishment, by acquiring which they will complete themselves and make themselves finally fit as members of a correct society. They are secretly ashamed of their ignorance of literature in the same way that they would be ashamed of their ignorance of etiquette at a high entertainment, or of their inability to ride a horse if suddenly called upon to do so. There are certain things that a man ought to know, or know about, and literature is one of them, such is their idea. They have learned to dress themselves with propriety, and behave with propriety on all occasions. They are fairly up in the questions of the day, by industry and enterprise they are succeeding in their vocations. It behooves them, then, not to forget that an acquaintance with literature is an indispensable part of a self-respecting man's personal baggage. Painting doesn't matter, music doesn't matter very much, but everyone is supposed to know about literature. Then, literature is such a charming distraction. Literary taste thus serves two purposes, as a certificate of correct culture and as a private pastime. A young professor of mathematics, immense at mathematics and games, dangerous at chess, capable of Hayden on the violin, once said to me, after listening to some chat on books, Yes, I must take up literature, as though saying, I was rather forgetting literature. However, I've polished off all these other things, I'll have a shy at literature now. This attitude, or any attitude which resembles it, is wrong. To him who really comprehends what literature is, and what the function of literature is, this attitude is simply ludicrous. It is also fatal to the formation of literary taste. People who regard literary taste simply as an accomplishment, and literature simply as a distraction, will never truly succeed either in acquiring the accomplishment, or in using it half acquired as a distraction, though one is the most perfect of distractions and though the other is unsurpassed by any other accomplishment in elegance or in power to impress the universal snobbery of civilized mankind. Literature, instead of being an accessory, is the fundamental non of complete living. I am extremely anxious to avoid rhetorical exaggerations. I do not think I am guilty of one in asserting that he who has not been presented to the freedom of literature has not wakened up out of his prenatal sleep. He is merely not born. He can't see, he can't hear, he can't feel in any full sense. He can only eat his dinner. What, more than anything else, annoys people who know the true function of literature, and have profited thereby, is the spectacle of so many thousands of individuals going about under the delusion that they are alive, when, as a fact, they are no nearer being alive than a bear in winter. I will tell you what literature is. No, I wish I could, but I can't, no one can. 
Gleams can be thrown on the secret, inklings given, but no more. I will try to give you an inkling. And to do so, I will take you back into your own history, or forward into it. That evening, when you went for a walk with your faithful friend, the friend from whom you hid nothing, or almost nothing, you were, in truth, somewhat inclined to hide from him the particular matter which monopolized your mind that evening. But somehow you contrived to get on to it, drawn by an overpowering fascination, and, as your faithful friend was sympathetic and discreet and flattered you by a respectful courtesy, you proceeded further and further into the said matter, growing more and more confidential, until at last you cried out in a terrific whisper, My boy, she is simply miraculous! At that moment you were in the domain of literature. Let me explain. Of course, in the ordinary acceptation of the word, she was not miraculous. Your faithful friend had never noticed that she was miraculous, nor had about forty thousand other fairly keen observers. She was just a girl. Troy had not been burned for her. A girl cannot be called a miracle. If a girl is to be called a miracle, then you might call pretty nearly anything a miracle. That is just it. You might. You can. You ought. Amid all the miracles of the universe, you had just wakened up to one. You were full of your discovery. You were under a divine impulsion to impart that discovery. You had a strong sense of the marvellous beauty of something, and you had to share it. You were in a passion about something, and you had to vent yourself on somebody. You were drawn toward the whole of the rest of the human race. Mark the effect of your mood and utterance on your faithful friend. He knew that she was not a miracle. No other person could have made him believe that she was a miracle, but you, by the force and sincerity of your own vision of her, and by the fervour of your desire to make him participate in your vision, did, for quite a long time, cause him to feel that he had been blind to the miracle of that girl. You were producing literature. You were alive. Your eyes were unlidded, your ears were unstopped to some part of the beauty and strangeness of the world, and a strong instinct within you forced you to tell someone. It was not enough for you that you saw and heard. Others had to see and hear. Others had to be wakened up, and they were. It is quite possible, I'm not quite sure, that your faithful friend, the very next day or the next month, looked at some other girl, and suddenly saw that she, too, was miraculous. The influence of literature. The makers of literature are those who have seen and felt the miraculous interestingness of the universe. And the greatest makers of literature are those whose vision has been the widest and whose feeling has been the most intense. Your own fragment of insight was accidental and perhaps temporary. Their lives are one long ecstasy of denying that the world is a dull place. Is it nothing to you to learn, to understand, that the world is not a dull place? Is it nothing to you to be led out of the tunnel, onto the hillside, to have all your senses quickened, to be invigorated by the true savour of life, to feel your heart beating under that correct necktie of yours? 
these makers of literature render you their equals the aim of literary study is not to amuse the hours of leisure it is to awake oneself it is to be alive to intensify one's capacity for pleasure for sympathy and for comprehension it is not to affect one hour but twenty-four hours it is to change utterly one's relations with the world an understanding appreciation of literature means an understanding appreciation of the world and it means nothing else not isolated and unconnected parts of life but all of life put together and correlated in a synthetic map the spirit of literature is unifying it joins the candle and the star and by the magic of an image shows that the beauty of the greater is in the less and not content with the disclosure of beauty and the bringing together of all things whatever within its focus it enforces a moral wisdom by the tracing everywhere of cause and effect it consoles doubly by the revelation of unsuspected loveliness and by the proof that our lot is the common lot it is the supreme cry of the discoverer offering sympathy and asking for it in a single gesture in attending a university extension lecture on the sources of shakespeare's plots or in studying the researches of george saintsbury into the origins of english prosody or in weighing the evidence for and against the assertion that rousseau was a scoundrel one is apt to forget what literature really is and is for it is well to remind ourselves that literature is first and last a means of life and that the enterprise of forming one's literary taste is an enterprise of learning how best to use this means of life people who don't want to live people who would sooner hibernate than feel intensely would be wise to eschew literature they had better to quote from the finest passage in a fine poem sit around and eat blackberries the sight of a common bush afire with god might upset their nerves End of chapter one